Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Welcome to today's podcast. Should design controls have prevented the recent reprocessing tragedy? Do we need new regulation? It's the second in a series focused on design controls and related topics within the medical device industry. During today's podcast, we'll surface some interesting and potentially controversial views on the subject. My name is Bill Loss. I've spent the last 20 years in the startup world and actively invest and advise in the med tech space. Thanks for listening in. Really excited to kick off today's podcast. We're joined by three industry veterans. First up, we've got Mike Drews, president of Vascular Sciences. Mike is an internationally recognized expert and featured keynote speaker on cutting-edge medical technologies and regulatory affairs. We're also joined by John Spear. John is co-founder and resident guru at Greenlight.Guru, making ways with his visionary approach to delivering an EQMS solution built exclusively for the medical device community. And last but certainly not least, we have Jason McKibben. Jason's experience spans more than 15-plus years in the medtech field, and in his more recent past, played an integral role as COO of Medesis, which was acquired by Medline Industries. Jason's current gig is that of Chief Operating Officer at Greenlight.Guru. Gentlemen, thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks, Bill. It's How's everybody? to be with you today. You guys doing good? All good here. Thanks, Bill. All right. We're going to cover a lot of ground in a very short period of time, so let's get at it. So uh, for those of you listening in, you may very well have already heard uh, about the high-profile superbug outbreak connected to reprocessing, as first reported at UCLA's Ronald Reagan Medical Center a couple months back. The industry has already seen lawsuits filed, FDA alerts being issued with follow-on guidance, and now even the White House getting involved with a five-year roadmap to combat antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Hey, Mike, let's start the discussion off. What's the background behind this reprocessing tragedy anyway? So as you just started to uh, describe, Bill, um, over the last few months, there's been an increase in reports in the popular press about patients that have become infected after being used, uh, after uh, having certain types of uh, endoscopic uh, medical devices in them, in this particular case, a device called a duodenoscope, um, because these devices were not cleaned and reprocessed properly. And the focus of this podcast, obviously, is to get into the, the details of that, especially from the regulatory side, and, uh, and talk about why this happened and what we can do to prevent it. But long story short, it's a, it's a terrible tragedy, obviously, um, because several hundred people have been infected and a small number of people have actually lost their lives. And of course, this is a terrible thing, but I think anybody that thinks this problem is really new uh, even though it's been newly reported in the news at UCLA and a few other hospitals across the country, I think anybody that thinks it's new is quite frankly naive. I think the reason why most people are talking about it now is because, as you alluded to, Bill, um, CRE has now reached the point of being a superbug, which basically means that it is antibiotic resistant. In the past, I think that there were probably more patients that got infected by uh, uh, improperly reprocessed medical devices than we would like to imagine. 
It's just that when they did get infected, those bugs were easy to knock out by conventional antibiotics. And oftentimes when a patient gets an infection in a hospital, it's really difficult, if not impossible, to tell exactly what caused it. So in this particular case, we know for sure that it's being caused by this type of medical device. But one other thing I want to remind your audience as we get started here is that a lot of medical device engineers would, would be tempted to say, well, I don't work on duodenoscopes, I don't work on endoscopes, therefore why do I have to worry about this problem? That, I think, is a, is a very scary attitude to have because this truly is the, the uh, canary in the coal mine. This is the tip of the iceberg because the potential for um, problems like this actually goes well beyond duodenoscopes or endoscopes and has the potential to touch every medical device that we use that's being um, uh, reprocessed and reused from patient to patient. As a matter no, of fact, the new guidance, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm going to say absolutely. Um, you know, when we're thinking about that, and John um, and, and Jason, when you think about kind of the responsibility that spans across the, or should I say at the manufacturer's level, as well as ultimately the folks that are handling the reprocessing, what's um, maybe, uh, John, you can you can maybe share a little bit. How, how do you view that uh, responsibility shift, and, and ultimately who is responsible? Well, it's it's an interesting uh, issue to think about, and, and Mike is is right. I mean, it's uh, I haven't been that product development engineer uh, in the past. I often um, had the mindset, you know, early on in my career that this reprocessing thing it's it's not my issue. Uh, I design single use disposable medical devices; they're not intended to be reprocessed. However, as time has has gone on, it's it's clear that that this is a, a real thing. This is happening for products that are designed to be reprocessed and reused and also for products that are not designed to be reprocessed and reused. So the, the med device uh, engineer who is designing that new product absolutely has to factor uh, in to the equation during the product development, manufacturing, and, and design all those steps that the product that, that he or she is developing is very likely to be used multiple times and reprocessed in between. No, absolutely. And Jason, obviously coming from Metasys and, uh, you know, being a, a registered third-party medical device reprocessor of single-use devices, I'm, I'm sure you've got some pretty strong opinions. What uh, What do you have to say? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I think that the, the complexity of, of reprocessing devices, in particular, what, what we have to, I think, contextualize in this conversation is the fact that we're really looking at reprocessing as it is conducted within the healthcare facility, the hospital or surgery center. And that environment is, is um, completely different than what you would see in a third-party reprocessor. A third-party reprocessor is, is regulated by the FDA. They fall under all the design controls as well as all the process controls. And I think inherently where the disconnect becomes where you're looking at devices that essentially are manufactured by an OEM, but then uh, given to a um, hospital or surgery center to reprocess, the, the difference is, is that they are done so under uh, a much or, or a uncontrolled environment in respect to you know what you would see with within a third party reprocessor, and and it really kind of comes down to I think the complexity of devices and then the complexity of steps that are required at the hospital or surgery center. Um, to perform the reprocessing of those devices. And, and what that really falls into is, is a kind of category of a hospital has, you know, a, a rinsing or a washing sink, a rinsing sink, a washer sterilizer, and maybe a 
you know, a subsequent sterilizer, whether it be hydroperoxide or ethylene oxide or steam, and these devices essentially fit into that one, you know, single process. They, they don't have the flexibility of being able to do, you know, 35 steps for this device and 15 steps for this device and six steps for this device and, you know, 30 steps for that device. And so inherently, the complication really comes down to, you know, really the design of the device and does it take into consideration the environment in which it's reprocessed and how that environment reflects on the design complexity of both the cleaning and sterilization of that device. No, well, definitely well stated. You know, John, when you think about uh, kind of the, the brief conversation, we just kind of kick back and forth. What's your take on, on really whether we need new or additional regulations to really prevent something like this from happening again? <laughs> Uh, that, uh, that's, that's a great question, I suppose, and it, I, I chuckle a bit because it reminds me of, of a few conversations that I've had with, with Mike about regulations. I, I guess in a word, do we need new regulations? In a word, no. Uh, we, we have plenty of regulations to, to dictate, you know, the design, development, manufacturing of medical devices. I, I think the, the twist is we need to follow the regulations that are already in place. And, you know, the point that Jason raises is that there are plenty of regulations, guidance documents, and and stipulations that are placed on on the medical device OEMs and medical device reprocessing uh, um, companies. The the twist here is is the hospitals and the the point-of-use facilities that are doing the reprocessing. If they would follow the regulations that exist for design controls, if they follow uh, the criteria that FDA has already um, stipulated for for reprocessing products, then perhaps we wouldn't have this issue that we're that we're hearing about today. No, that's definitely fair, and I guess uh, Mike, thinking about the broader medical device manufacturing as a whole, how do you think maybe doing a better job of implementing best practices could have actually avoided these chain of events? Well, let me come to that in uh, in just a moment, Bill. I'd like to come back and add very briefly to what Jason and um, John just talked about. First oh, of all, with regard to Jason's comments about the difference between a reprocessing company versus a hospital, I think that's one of the root causes of this problem. Because when you think about it, medical device reprocessing has been going on since essentially the beginning of medicine. This is nothing new, but uh, the, the reprocessing was being done by hospitals. And one could easily argue that the reprocessing of medical devices in a hospital, like pharmaceutical compounding, is the practice of medicine, something that is beyond the bailiwick of FDA oversight. And as a matter of fact, in the interest of full disclosure, I was one of several people that were invited to present at the FDA panel meeting a few weeks ago. And this is one of the most important topics of discussion. There were several panel members that specifically asked FDA if we recommended to you that we that you needed to regulate the uh, the reprocessing of devices in hospitals, is this something that you could even do? So, uh, again, without a change uh, in the uh, regulation by Congress, that's not something that FDA can just simply do on their own. That's number one. Number two, with regard to new regulation, well, I would say yes and no. For better or for worse, we already have new regulation. There was a new guidance that just was finalized in March on reprocessing that basically now requires for all medical devices across the board, 
510Ks, PMA, and so on. Uh, for any medical device that is labeled to be reused, there needs to be a validated reprocessing protocol in there. One of the questions that I raised at the panel meeting, though, was does it make sense for a medical device manufacturer to develop and validate a cleaning procedure if they, in fact, are not the ones that are doing the cleaning? I think there's a huge opportunity for uh, medical device companies to actually work with the folks in the hospital that are actually doing this cleaning. And let me tell you, coming out with a 100-page-plus cleaning uh, procedure, as some companies have now done, um, is not a solution to this problem. Coming up with a new brush to clean these uh, certain kinds of medical devices, in my opinion, is not a solution to this problem. We need more people working together. Specifically with regard to, to existing regulation, I agree 100% with John. We already have it. In the design controls, one of the basic philosophies of the design controls is to design your device to meet the needs of the user. Well, in the context of design controls, most of the time the user is the physician. But if your, if your device is labeled to be reused, one of the users is the reprocessor. And so we should be designing our devices with the reprocessor in mind. This is a phrase I coined a number of years ago I called design for reprocessability. So we should be thinking about how we can design our devices to be reprocessed in a more effective way. And the last example that I want to mention is usability testing. Once again, because of the in vivo, I'm sorry, the, um, uh, uh, the infusion pump disaster of a few years ago, that led, to re that led to usability testing requirements across the board. When we talk about usability, most people's connotation of the user is the physician, the surgeon, whoever it is that's using the device on the patient clinically. But if our device is being labeled to be reused and reprocessed, again, our user is, at least in part, the reprocessor as well. So bottom line, we already have existing regulation that should cover this. If we follow the, the, if we try to understand not just the letter of the regulation, but the intent of the regulation, and with this new guidance that coincidentally was finalized literally days after the UCLA tragedy was announced, of course that's pure coincidence, um, and I hope your audience appreciates my not so subtle use of humor there because Health Canada finalized a similar guidance five years ago. So why is it taking us so long? Um, but we have both new regulation and existing regulation if we, uh, if we use it properly that can solve these kinds of problems. Uh, that's uh, definitely well stated. You brought a, I guess, a phrase that's very uh, prominent in the medical device uh, field, which is design controls, into your, your description there. Jason, kicking over to you, based on the volume of experience you've had in this area, how could uh, better orchestrated design controls have potentially prevented this tragedy? You know, if we focus on design controls, what, what, what's your, your thoughts around that? Well, I think as, as Mike kind of touched on, I, I think it really kind of comes down to, you know, really understanding, you know, the user needs and the application to, to the, um, you know, all the parties involved. It's, it's, you're not just building a, a device for a physician. You're actually building a device for a healthcare facility. And in that facility, there are multiple touch points, and those touch points do you know, include things like cleaning, performance, packaging, sterilization, and how do you ensure that your device is designed in a way that adapts to the environment in which it's going to be um, integrated into and that it ensures that the, the device itself can be, ster you know, clean, sterilized, uh, um, recognized for performance, and done so in, in a safe and effective manner. And so really 
I think the design controls are, you know, the um, absolute, um, you know, entity that, that really allows us to ensure that we take into consideration all the different elements that we need to do when designing a device. And therefore, making sure that we include all the parties in that um, will help, you know, get, um, OEMs to design and develop devices that are easier for um, healthcare facilities to reprocess. Uh, you know, sorry, let me jump in here, Bill. I'm gonna, uh, these are fascinating points, right? And and I think, you know, uh, Mike just mentioned the, the statement about uh, having uh, some sort of protocol that uh, the OEM provides to, to a hospital or point-of-use facility to, to clean and reprocess. You know, that's an interesting concept. And at the same time, you know, you know, my experience tells me every almost every single hospital seems to be unique in their their infrastructure and their ability to clean and reprocess. So trying to develop a protocol that can be standardized, I mean, it's a it's a huge, uh, I guess, opportunity or issue to address. And you know, I'd like to believe design control could could be a way to help with that. But at the same time, I, it just seems like it could be overwhelming for for a medical device company to consider every single possibility, every single scenario, every single you know cleaning method or, or reprocessing technique that can be used in a hospital. So I, I guess I'm baffled a bit about how design control is going, going to fix that. Yeah, I mean, it's as you look at it, it's a bear and there's so many external variables, which, which kind of uh, leads us into wrapping up today's podcast here, podcast with uh, what I guess I would, uh, define as maybe a bit of a sore spot, at least uh, something I know you, John, uh, see as a pet peeve and a primary reason for, for actually co-founding Greenlight.guru. The subject of risk comes up often, usually in the context, I guess, of many medical device companies not placing enough emphasis on identifying potential risks or hazards early enough in the research and the design phase. John, kind of just wrapping things up here, um, why don't you start off by sharing some final thoughts on this thread for us? Well, I mean, it's certainly a, a, definitely a risk management issue. I mean, Mike uh, mentioned it earlier. If if, uh, if, the, if the medical device engineer who's designing a new product uh, is ignoring reprocessing, um, that's uh, that's yeah, I guess failure uh, of a risk management process from the from the beginning. Uh, it's it's clear. You know, I, I go back to my days uh, again working with a single use um, medical device company and a lot of catheter based technologies. And, you know, it's like we we uh, we tried to ignore it. It was like out of sight, out of mind. We knew reprocessing was happening, but but we never factored that into to our design control process. We never factored that into our risk management process, and that is a huge huge mistake. Uh, as Jason and, and Bill or uh, Jason and Mike, sorry, have both mentioned. You got to you've got to consider the user needs and and you know you got to consider the intended use of your product and also the unintended use of uh, or misuse of your product uh, or all the ways that your product can fail and that's where risk management really comes in and it's got to it's it's just risk and design controls risk management exactly one in the same process. If you read through 14971, you know the risk management standard, and you read through you know, FDA design control regulations, if you can't draw a conclusion that these things are uh, one and the same, then then you you need to revise your process completely. 
Well, yeah, when you think about even, uh, and you guys obviously are the experts, but when you think about even the FDA's water flow diagram and starting to pull in design verification and design validation into the entire process, it is a kind of a, a continued, um, a, it's not an event, it's kind of a continued process. Uh, before we uh, we conclude today, uh, Jason, I'd like to uh, to hear your your final thoughts, and then Mike, we can get you to chime in here before we uh, we before we end. Yeah, I, I think that you know Mike and, and John have both uh, made very relevant comments and appropriate to to the situation. It's, it's extremely complex. On one side, you have an OEM de- uh, you know designing a device that is intended to be reprocessed within healthcare facilities. However, the the in process of actually conducting those reprocessing um, steps are embedded into an environment that are greatly different from one to another. And therefore, I, I think the, the ultimate solution, and I think the, the idea of having regulations or not, I, I think, you know, to Mike's point, the answer is yes and no. And, and a lot of it has to happen with the, the two industries being able to work together to come to an immunial solution that at the end of the day allows for the integration of these processes. Because if you think about like a third party or processor, I mean, one of the things that they do and they control is not only do they design and develop all the processes that reprocess the device, but they also, um, you know, provide all the contracts and validation to ensure that it's done appropriately and safely. And then from a manufacturing standpoint, they have all the, the infrastructure in place to ensure that they can repeatably reprocess those devices safely and effectively. In a hospital environment or a surgery center environment, that is very different. They're not under the same office or, or regulations to conduct themselves in the same manner to ensure that, you know, the adaptability of, of the, the cleaning and, and reprocessing instructions um, do, in fact, actually fit their environment or what can they do to ensure that um, their environment can fit those devices. Hey, Mike, any final thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Um, so I agree with much of what uh, John and Jason have talked about. I'd just like to leave the audience with a few uh, final things to think about. There's solutions to all of these problems. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, these problems are not new. These problems are not unanticipated. Some of us have been uh, talking about these things for several decades some of these problems could be mitigated best from better technological solutions. I don't want to um, turn this into an engineering or a technology discussion, but simply put, there are a lot of things that we could build into endoscopes that would uh, minimize, if not totally eliminate, the, the likelihood of cross-contamination. Other problems can be achieved by uh, a regulatory solution, whether it's existing regulation or new regulation. but the solution to most problems, in my opinion, is more communication, not less. And what we really need is we need the medical device manufacturers, and in this case, the hospitals um, who are doing the reprocessing, communicating with one another. And one thing I've learned uh, in my 20-plus years of playing this game is just because two people or two organizations are talking does not necessarily mean they're communicating. So we need more communication going on. We need to understand how these things happen in the real world, not in the theoretical world of regulatory affairs, but in the real world of the practice of medicine. And the last thing I would like to leave your audience with is maybe I'm na- naive, and certainly many people think, think, think so, 
But the question is, do we need anybody? Do we need regulation? Do we need FDA? Do we need the government telling us to do things that we all as engineers know we should be doing anyway? Most of what's in the design controls is really no more than what I call prudent engineering, something that all of us are supposed to be learning in engineering school, because at the end of the day, these products are being used on family members, on friends, perhaps someday even on one of ourselves. And at that point, when that happens, I really hope that somebody did their job. And I don't just mean following the regulation. I mean, did we do what we should do? We have a, a responsibility to our customers, to our patients. Um, I understand medicine is a business, but uh, there's a lot more to it than, than just that. Well, guys, very insightful. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Your thought leadership in the community is very much welcomed and appreciated. And to those of you listening, thanks for your continued feedback and shared enthusiasm. If you'd like to stay in touch with Mike, you can check out more of what he has to say on his guest column at Medical Device Online Magazine or connect with him on LinkedIn. You can check out more of John's writings as well as Jason's at blog.greenlight.guru or ping either of these guys on LinkedIn. Till next time, let's continue working together towards improving the quality of medical devices in the market and the quality of life for the people we collectively serve. 